This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Jesus, we love you and are so grateful for the fact that you've, you first loved us. And Father, I pray, would you use your scriptures to point us to the living word, Jesus Christ, today, that he might receive all glory and honor and praise in our lives as we know that he does around the throne of heaven. So teach us, Spirit, stir us, and shape us more into the image of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I know that you are very disappointed that this is the final message in the book of Acts. It's flown by, hasn't it? Um, 37 messages as we've journeyed through the book of Acts. And then you come in on the very final message of the book of Acts, and the sermon is entitled, Never Ending Story. And you probably think to yourself, will this series ever end? And the answer is, sort of. (laughs) Sort of. Um, uh, About a year ago, we started this series, and we jumped into the book of Acts, and we said that really the framing for our study of this book was um, that, that we're jumping into a stream that's been going for a long time as followers of Jesus. That the book of Acts points us back to the fact that we have a foundation that's forged in the past. That it invites us to this reality that there's a power available in the present. Uh, That that power is the Holy Spirit that shapes and guides this book. And also, as we'll see today, that the book of Acts presents us with a vision that presses towards the future. That in many ways, while we come to Acts chapter 28 and we come to the end of the book, we really find ourselves at the beginning. That God, the same God who through his spirit writes this book, is not done telling his story. That this book, this book of Acts and the scriptures as a whole, they are a, uh, a dynamic book, not static. That they are grounded in ancient truth and yet, and yet, point us to a glorious future. So if you're joining us for the first time today, yes, you jump in at the very end of the series, but as you'll see, in many ways, the end is just the beginning. Uh, Let me give you a brief summary of what we've sort of been through over the last 37 weeks, and you'll probably go, well, you have no idea what we've been through, Paulson. Um, No, I don't, but let me summarize. Uh, Dr. Luke is the author of this book that's a history, an account of the way that God shapes and forms his church. It's an account of the way that God sends the Holy Spirit into the life of the believers and that that spirit drives them, shapes them, forms them, bursts the church, and launches the church on mission. That's where we've been studying over the last 37 weeks. These 28 chapters span more than 30 years, three decades of history. We have um, things that take place on three different continents. We have the church that's birthed in, Jer- in Jerusalem in the continent of Asia. We have the gospel that continues to go forth as Paul takes it to the ends of the earth. And, it, and he sort of sets up shop around the Mediterranean in Europe. And then we also see in Acts chapter 8 that, that um, the Ethiopian eunuch is converted to Christ, comes to know the Lord, and then goes back and serves in his hometown. So we have... Asia, we have Europe, we have Africa, all represented in this book. We have 14 churches planted by the Apostle Paul alone, but we know that many other churches find their roots in this time period. 
We have the Apostle Paul traveling over 10,000 miles on missionary journeys by land and by sea, planes, trains, and automobiles. Okay, well, okay, maybe not, but, but. We have him traveling. We see in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 the blueprint for the church, the fact that the church is this beautiful, subversive, generous, gracious community where, where people are invited in, where they say to the Caesar who, whose tagline was Caesar is Lord, they say there's none other than Jesus. Jesus is Lord and Jesus alone is Lord. And Caesar, thank you very much, but, but we don't need you. We have each other. They pointed each other to the scriptures. There was a teaching, there was learning, there was this beautiful, beautiful ethos that started to develop amongst this community of believers. We see the church develop leadership, we see the church develop vision, and we see the church continue to move forward. That's the story we found ourselves in over the last 28 chapters of the book of Acts. In this book, here's what we see. We see the work that Jesus continues to do through the Spirit and the formation of his church. And today we come to the end. We come to the end of this book, but as you'll see as we jump in, it's not an ending that you and I are necessarily comfortable with. It's not an ending that has a nice little bow on it and the curtains are drawn and we're like, okay, let's move on to what's next. That's not the ending that Dr. Luke gives us to this book. Will you turn with me to Acts chapter 28, and we're going to jump in in verse 23. Paul has finally arrived in Rome. It was his prayer. It was his hope. He didn't arrive how he thought he would. He arrived as a prisoner after a shipwreck, but he finally gets to Rome, and he finds himself there on house arrest. And on house arrest, he comes, uh, people come to him and they visit, and he's going to continue to teach them. We're going to pick up in Acts chapter 23, where there's a number of prominent Jewish leaders in the city of Rome who come and who visit the Apostle Paul in prison and house arrest. So verse 23, chapter 28, that's where we pick up the story. When they had appointed a, a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Don't you love this? He's, he's in jail and he's still pushing forward. This is about the kingdom. This is about Jesus. Verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disregarding uh, disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. Now, now just a second. What he's going to say um, is gonna, it's not going to earn him a lot of friends. You're going to see why people said, oh, we're out of here after this. Because Paul's not exactly running a PR campaign. Okay? He's giving people truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And he makes this observation. He says, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will see but never perceive. For the people's hearts have grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear. Their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. That doesn't make you a lot of friends. Therefore, verse 28, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. 
He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching them about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. The curtains are drawn, the credits roll, uh, the, the end. Are you kidding me? I mean, 30 years, 28 chapters, 37 sermons, and what we get is at the end of the story, he's in jail, still preaching. It's completely unresolved, completely open-ended, and it's left for us to, to wrestle with. Anybody like stories like that? I mean, like, like movies like that that end and you're going, no, there has to be another scene. There has to be something else. Um, just a confession, okay? This is a safe place. for It's okay to not be okay here, okay? Um, my wife and I watched Mocking Jay, part one, the other night. To our own detriment, she picked it. I'll just say that, okay? <laughs> we trade off, though. We trade off. My, my movies tend to be a little better, but okay. Two hours, of, two hours and three minutes of my life, I'm not getting back, friends. I mean, we got to the end of it, and it was like, wait, what, part one? Are you kidding me? Um, I dedicated, and when I go into something, I jump in both feet. I dedicated six years of my life every Thursday to watching Lost. Anybody else? And Lost was this, I think, wonderful story, um, and, and there's debate about what happened, but you get, to the, you get to the end of it, and the end is really the beginning. I mean, it beautifully follows the story arc, don't get me wrong, I think they nailed it, there's no other way to end that, but it ends with you going, I want a little bit more, like, just give me a little bit more. It's this uh, film technique called cut to black, where they leave you going, oh, there's got to be more. Well, well, the scriptures use this technique often. Jesus tells a story, uh, a parable about uh, a son who comes to his father and asks for his inheritance. Je the, the father gives him the inheritance. He goes, blows it all, comes back home, is welcomed by the father. A party ensues. They kill the fatted calf. There's dancing. There's music. And the story ends with the older son standing in the field saying, I won't go in. Completely unresolved. People walked away going, I, I think he might have been talking about me. I think he might have been talking about me. The book of Jonah. The prophet of Jonah is called to go to Nineveh to preach the good news of who God is and what God has done. And at the very end of the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, verse 11, after he has been wildly successful as an evangelist against his own desires, right? That's, that's putting it lightly. He gets swallowed by a whale, barfed up on dry land, goes and preaches. Not exactly the most willing evangelist you've ever met in your life, okay? At the end of it, he's sitting under this little tree, and here's what it says. Verse 11, chapter 4. And should not I pity Nineveh, this is God speaking to Jonah, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle, question mark? You go look in your Bible. There's nothing following that. I mean, you, you, gotta, you have to be going like, somebody, my kids stole Jonah chapter 5, right? I can assure you, they did not. It ends open-ended. 
The book of Mark, the gospel of Mark ends. If you look in your Bible, uh, there's 20 verses in ch- of chapter uh, 16, but there's a little note after verse 8 that says most of the best earliest manuscripts don't include verses 9 through 20, and they don't. None of them do. It wasn't part of the original. This is the way the original ends, verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That's it. Done. I mean, it was so difficult for people that later transcribers had to add a nicer, cleaner ending. Which is what we'd love to do, wouldn't it, sometimes? Story ends a little bit prematurely in our mind, and we go, well, we could come up with a better ending. I love the way that Eugene Peterson, the great pastor and scholar, puts it when he says this, writing about the book of Mark. He says, he, Mark, has just brought a completely new genre of literature into being, a gospel. But instead of wrapping it up as a finished product so we can admire his genius, at the last minute, he steps aside and hands us the pen, saying, here, you write it. Write a resurrection conclusion with your life. What a brilliant statement. It's the same thing that the book of Acts does. It doesn't give us all the answers, and would you agree with me? We live in a culture and a time that likes the answers, I mean, you think about the way that we, we build our education around information. It's, it's here's a list of things you need to know. Here's a list of facts you need to know. Here's a list of things that, that you need to get into your head. Now, I, I think this is a good thing that that's starting to change, but basically what we view as, um, as the end or the destination is the answer. The scriptures often don't invite us to have the answer. They invite us into the story. They're they're as much, the scriptures are as much about invitation as they are about information. About inviting us in, not with a nice tidy bow that is wrapped at the top of the end of the story where the credits roll and the people live happily ever after, but an invitation into a story to step into it. And I think that it's made it hard for us in modernity to, to really accept this and wrestle with this because in many ways, faith is a list of things that we believe. We believe this about God, we believe this about the Spirit, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that if you go back and read the scriptures, that the early followers of Jesus, I'm convinced, were more interested in inviting people into a story than they were about giving people all the answers. And so the book of Acts ends and you go, well, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And I can assure you, There is no Acts 29, at least in your Bible. I think in the day and time we live in, we need to embrace this church. This is not a bad thing. This is not an evil to fight. This is an invitation from God that we have this unique opportunity to step back into. Because information does not carry the same weight that it used to. You can get on your phone, and if you have access to the right databases, get all of the information that I use to plan this message. Now, as someone who teaches on a weekly basis, that's humbling. That's hum- I, I know you can be cross-referencing me right now. Some of you are. 
That's why we don't have wireless in here. No, I'm just kidding. We do. We do. And here's the deal. I don't think at any time soon someone's going to knock at your door and try to sell you an Encyclopedia Britannica. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think the church needs to embrace this invitation, not just to all the answers. The answers are important, don't get me wrong, but an invitation to the story is the way the book of Acts ends. Maybe there's more power in this than we've realized. Maybe there's more power in invitation than we've realized. Maybe formation begins with invitation, not just information. What if, what if, what if? Our goal as followers of Jesus was not to give people all the answers, but to live such a countercultural life that we invited people into the story. What if that was our goal? Not just to have all the right answers, but to live a life that demands that people ask and wrestle with questions. I love the way that one of my favorite authors and pastors, Dallas Willard, puts it when he says this. This is just great. He says, the trouble with the way that we teach doctrine is that we tell people, you should believe this whether you believe it or not. Is that not true? That, that's sort of, that is the way that we talk about faith. You should believe this because it's right whether you really believe it or not. But I think what we see in the book of Acts and what we see all throughout the scriptures is not just an invitation to believe something, but to be a part of something. Both are given in the scriptures. And unfortunately, to our detriment, I think, we've only rested on one. But the book of Acts ends chapter 28, and it ends beautifully. It follows the story arc it's set out to tell. Luke does not abdicate his responsibility as a storyteller. In fact, I think he tells the perfect story. And when I use that term, I'm not saying that it's, that it's untrue. I'm simply saying that it is, it's true in its facts, but it's even more true in what it says to our lives. He tells a great story. Listen to the way that he starts out. He says, in the very first verse, in the first book, which he's referring to as gospel, Luke O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach as if to say I'm simply continuing the story. That Jesus, although he died and was risen and has ascended to heaven, he is not done writing his story with his church through his spirit. First verse, that's what he says. Third verse, it says that Jesus came and teach, taught the apostles for 40 days. What was the content of his message? He taught to them for 40 days, speaking about what? Say it with me, the kingdom of God. He has 40 days with them. That's the content of his message. Now, what does Paul end the book of Acts telling them about? The kingdom of God. He ends it in jail, preaching the same message that Jesus begins this book preaching. Verse 8, and you may have memorized this one. It may be sort of a part of um, your calling as a follower of Jesus. But listen to verse 8. It gives us uh, some of the structure of the book of Acts. Chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if that's your thesis for this book, does it not end perfectly? It doesn't end with the end. In fact, I think, uh, on the contrary, it ends with an invitation. It ends with, this is just the beginning 
Paul's in jail, but he's preaching, and this gospel goes forward without hindrance. Nothing can stop it. Look up at me for just a second. Jesus is still writing his story. Jesus is still writing his story. The end of the book of Acts does not mean that he is done. In fact, the way the book ends invites us to believe that we are a part of what he continues to do. So, Here's the way I'll say it for us this morning, and we can, we're going to wrestle with this a little bit, but, but here's the truth of the matter, friends, is that the scriptures don't only tell us the story of Jesus. That's not their intention just to give us a bunch of information. The scriptures do not just tell us the story of Jesus. Better than that, they invite us into the life of Jesus. They invite us into the life of Jesus. You see, stories, they can either end a conversation or they can begin one. The book of Acts ends with this wonderful, beautiful invitation. Will you join? Will you jump in? Will you be a part of this God who, although this story ends in this part, continues to write on the pages of the hearts of people who call him Lord and King? Look at the way that the great New Testament scholar N.T. Wright puts it. And you know you're a great New Testament scholar when the first letters of your name are N.T., standing for New Testament. Here's what he says. He says the authority, that's not true, that's not true, it's Norm Tom, okay? Um, The authority of the Bible is the authority of a love story in which we are invited to take part. The book of Acts ends with this question, will you give your life to this story? Will you jump in, not just put your toes in the water, but will you jump in both Feet, because God is still at work. God is still moving. Jesus is still continuing to do through his church, through his spirit, what the book of Acts records for us happened in the first 30 years. He's still doing it. He has not ended. Do you know what? Your story, your, your life will be given to something. All of us give our lives to something. We're, we're designed to be sort of clingers of sorts. We attach our energy, our time, our resources, and our money to things that either cause our lives to end with us or cause our story to continue the ripple effects into eternity. My my 87-year-old grandmother passed away this week. Um, Went home to be with the Lord, and my picture of her is of her in her robe standing behind her breakfast little nook area cooking breakfast making coffee she usually stayed in her robe till about noon because that was not a job that you just needed to check off the list and get done but that was a process by which you engaged the people in your household even if it was just her husband she still did it And I thought about my grandma this week, and I thought about her servanthood and the way that her life, she attached her life to the people in her life and to the God that she loved and the God that she served. And I was reminded of the reality that our lives will be attached to something. The question is, will it be trivial or will it be eternal? Will it be a story that continues to go on? Will we attach our song to the song that has no end? Or will our story end with us? The question I think 
you may wrestle with and I wrestle with is how do we do that? <laughs> how do we do that? In, in a very real way, what does that look like? I'm glad you asked. Okay, I don't know what I would have done for the next 15 minutes if you hadn't asked. So I'm glad, you, I'm glad you asked. And let me just sort of point out a few things that happen in Acts chapter 28 that show us how do we graft our story into, by God's grace and mercy, the song that has no end. Because the book of Acts does not provide us with an ending. It provides us with an invitation. So how do we jump in? How do we jump in? Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 3. Verse 3. Paul is still on the island of Malta. You'll remember if you were here with us last week that they had a um, a bit of a a treacherous ride there. There was a shipwreck. They swam to to the land, and verse 3, we pick up their story. It says, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out of the heat and fastened to his hand. Okay, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. Let's put our cards on the table. How many of us at that point are praying, viper, kill me? I mean, I'm going to be honest. I might. I mean, you're just a shipwreck. You swim to dry land. You're building a fire and a snake bites you. You can't make that kind of stuff up. That is wonderful. Verse 4, and the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand. They said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he's escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. I mean, this is MacGyver, is it not? Boom, into the fire. What now? They were waiting for him to swell up. I can only imagine he said, what now? All right. They they were waiting for him to swell up. They waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him. And they changed their minds and said, nope, he's a god. So he goes from... Murdering thief as validated by that snake who bit him. It's God's justice on him too. This guy's amazing. He must be a God. Okay? So in, a, in just a brief moment that happens. And, and here's what you learn. If you like look at the story of Paul, the life of Paul through the book of Acts, you see him getting beat up. You see people betraying him. You see things not going the way that he's planned them to go. And every single time, he continues to trust that God is good, that he's present. He puts one foot in front of the other. If he's in jail, he's going to preach Jesus. If he's on dry land, he's going to preach Jesus. If he's in the open sea, he's going to preach Jesus. If he's got a snake hanging from his hand, he's going to flick it off and start preaching Jesus again. This is who this guy was. This is who he was. He was persistent. He was convinced that God was continuing to tell his story through his life. He believed in this mission and he had a vision for a better future. Friends, if you and I are going to have stories that are grafted into the story, the song that never ends, I think we're going to have to embrace the same type of DNA, that it's not going to be easy. Any amens? You can say that here, that's all right. Uh, It's not going to be easy. It's not going to just be um, comfortable. But if we're going to attach our lives to the life of Jesus, there's going to be some times where you got to flick off the snake into the fire and continue to walk forward. There just are. There just are. And if our theology tells us it's going to be a walk in the park, then we just haven't gotten that from Scripture. Let's just say that. We have not gotten that from the pages of Scripture. He's persistent. 
Number two, look at this, picking up in verse 15. He finally gets to Rome. Paul had written to the church in Rome. He'd written to the church in Rome two times saying, I can't wait to get to you. And finally, after years of waiting and years of praying and years of wondering, is this going to happen? It happens for him, verse 15. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, they came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Don't you just wonder if, as he walks into Rome, this overwhelming joy of saying, God, thank you. You were good on the promise. You were faithful to deliver what you stirred in my heart that I longed to see happen, that I might preach the gospel in the center point of the known world. And God, you were faithful. But here's the thing. It looked nothing like what Paul thought it would look like. And he's a prisoner, but he gets there. It looks nothing like he thinks it would look like. It doesn't happen in the way that he crafts that it would happen. But Jesus is good. And I think he's looking for people that would be dreamers. I think he's looking for people that would ask the spirit, what's the hope you've planted in my heart? What's the desire that you've given me? And as he affirms that in us to trust that he would be good, that he would be faithful on his promises. I don't know how many days and evenings and nights Paul laid awake in bed wondering, is this going to happen? God, are you going to be good on your promise? Are you, did you just stir this in me, this hope to preach there, this hope to go there, this hope to do this, just to, to let me down? Or are you going to be good on what you've said? And you see, most of us, we step out of the story God is telling when we let the dreams that he's given us die. I meet with people almost weekly that at one point, here is what I thought, here is what I prayed into, here is what I longed to see Jesus do, and we let the dream die. Can I just tell you, it didn't happen overnight for Paul. It will not happen overnight for you, most likely, but don't let the dream die. Keep praying for that kid who's wandered away. Don't, don't let the dream die. Keep longing that Jesus would use your life as you reach out people in the hope of the gospel and the glory of Jesus. Keep longing for Jesus to use your life. Don't give up on the dream because when we give up on the dream, we step out of the story. And Paul doesn't step out. He keeps hoping. He keeps praying. He keeps longing. And Jesus is good on his promise. Verse 23, he's in jail. Skip down there with me. He's in jail on house arrest. And it says that uh, when they had appointed a day for him. So all these Jewish leaders are going to come and they're going to question Paul. They have the authority either to say, just let this guy go. Or put him on trial. They came to him at his lodging in great number. From morning until evening he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of God. And trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So here's what he does. In jail, in chains, chained to a Roman guard, says, all right, Jewish leaders, let's just, we'll just use your book. Is that cool with you? Let me, let me show you why you should believe in the slain, risen lamb, Jesus the Messiah. He is what your hope was in throughout the ages, and God has been faithful. Now, all he has to do is say, yeah, I think I was a bit off. I just ate some bad pizza, or some bad pita. I just ate some bad, bad pita. 
I was off. And they'd say, well, let, let him go then. Let him go. But he doesn't. In jail, continues to preach Jesus. And here's what we see is that not only are people who graft their story into the story of God, not only are they persistent and not only are they dreamers, but they're also people who are bold, who are willing to stand on their convictions even when life gets really difficult. And the truth about the Apostle Paul is that he was convinced about the message that he brought. He was connected to the giver of the message. And he was overflowing with love for the people who he delivered the message to. And if we're going to live lives of boldness, which I think our culture needs us to do, it's not going to be when we just pull up our bootstraps and go, I'm going to be bold. It's not what it takes. It takes people who are convinced of the message, who are connected to the messenger, and who absolutely love, not as projects, but as people, love the people that we have the honor of delivering the message to. Here's the last thing that we see in Paul's life. Verse 25, it says, In disagreeing among themselves, they departed. After Paul made one statement, the Holy Spirit saying, uh, was right in saying to our fathers through the prophet Isaiah, Go to this people and say, You will hear, but never understand. You will see, but never perceive. For people's hearts had grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes... What they have closed, lest they should open them and see in their ears what they should hear and understand with their hearts. And then he says, and I would turn and I would heal them. So here's what Paul does. His final act in the book of Acts is saying, listen, I know you're standing in Rome right now as Jewish leaders, but the scriptures talk about you. The scriptures testify about you standing in this place right now. And so what he does is he takes the ancient scriptures that are, at this point, centuries old, and he pulls them into the present and says, you're standing in what Isaiah talked about. This is a prophetic announcement by the Apostle Paul. It's what all people who graft their stories into the story of God do. They, they operate in this. Now, before you either say, finally, Paulson, talking about the prophetic, and before you say, I can't believe you're saying that this is how, okay, I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender. No one's going to think, you're either going to think I went too far or not far enough, but here's what Paul does as he stands in the prophetic. He takes the scriptures and he applies them to the people he's interacting with. He says, this is where you stand right now. God was talking about you. And anybody that finds their story in the story of God, I think, has to read the scriptures at least and first and foremost for themselves in that way. But then as the Spirit stirs in us, we get the invitation from God to say to the people around us, sometimes to the culture, this is where we stand. Because here's what we're convinced. We're convinced that this isn't the end of the story, but that it's the beginning that we're invited not just to read about God, but to interact with God and to walk with God, and not just to tell the story of Jesus, but to enter into the life of Jesus. The great, um, the great scholar, Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, he says, he calls this the prophetic imagination, 
where we have the opportunity and the invitation from God to say, look at what might the world be like? Listen to what he says. He says, the people we later recognize as prophets are also poets. They reframe what is at stake in chaotic times. I think God's looking for people. He's looking for people who hear his voice and declare a better tomorrow who step into the void between what is and what could be and say, God is still at work. He's still writing his story. And in some mysterious way, he's using your life and my life as a part of that. I love being the pastor at South. I think in many ways we embrace this reality that God is still at work, that he is still telling his story I love the way that Sunday after Sunday and life group after life group, we gather and we declare the goodness and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we wrap our hearts and our lives around his life. We open our church and we serve the homeless. We declare the story is still being written. When kids are loved and pointed to Jesus, we declare the story is still being written. When you reach out with your time and with your energy and your resources and you come along people who are hurting and say, there's a better tomorrow on the horizon, the story is still being written. When you give your life to somebody who's maybe a little bit younger or maybe a little uh, not quite as far along and enter into a mentoring relationship with them, you're declaring the story is still being written. Moms, when you sacrifice daily, get up early, get up throughout the night because your husband's ignoring the cries. You're declaring the story is still being written. People that gather together and write songs on a weekly basis and do art on a weekly basis in this body declare the story of Jesus is still being written. There's songs still left to be sung. Yes? Yes and amen. People who are reaching out and inviting neighbors and inviting friends to come to celebrate the risen Christ. I got an email from somebody this week. She said to me, she said, I've only been a part of South for about a month, but I absolutely love it. And I'm inviting 20 of my family members to come with me to Easter Sunday celebration. The story is still being written. It's why the book of Acts doesn't end with a nice clean bow with curtains that close and credits that roll. We do not read the scriptures in a way that says happily ever after. We read the scriptures in a way where God says, welcome to the party. Welcome to the party. And so the book of Acts ends, Paul in jail, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Isn't that great? Luke adds that in for us. Just so we don't think that the gospel is in chains. Paul's in chains, yes, but he says, oh, no, 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 no. This story is going forward with boldness and without hindrance. It is the never-ending story. And when we attach our story to his, we enter into something that's eternal. And as with every great story, The book of Acts ends in a way that invites you to begin. It's not just a clean ending. It's a beautiful invitation. That's what it is.
It's a beautiful invitation. And so we're going to close our time together this morning wrestling with that invitation. What's your verse? What's your part of the story that God might want to write through you? He's building his church. Make no mistake about it. But for some reason, he invites us to be a part of it for our joy and for the glory of his name. What verse might he write through you? Let's pray, and then I'll invite you to come forward. Lord, in, in some ways, I think we long for that clean, nice ending, the happily ever after where the credits roll up. But Lord, I, I thank you that you're so much better than that. Rather than giving us information that you give us an invitation and not just all the answers, but a beckoning to come and to follow as you build your church, as you build your kingdom, as you bind up the brokenhearted, provide freedom to the captives, you invite us to play a part. Lord, we're, we're surprised at that and yet overjoyed at the same time. Would you stir in us a verse? What verse might you write through our lives? And we'll give you all the glory and all the praise. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.